This is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, joined by the legendary former Manchester United defender, Paul Parker. Paul, how are you doing this week, mate? I'm not bad at all, Wayne. International football has taken a little bit of, um, well, I'm saying a little bit of oomph out of football as it was starting to kind of fall into place. We get, we get st- or laden with international football, I should say. Yeah. So that'll be gone after, after the midweek games. Well, not for you, not yet, because you've got um, something tonight, right, about the 1990. Yes, I've got a, something that should have been done back in May 20. There's a, it's called a tribute to 1990. It should have been 30 years after, after that time, but it's gone, now it's gone to 31 for obvious reasons. And I think there's about half a dozen of us going up and uh, going in the Grand Theatre in Wolverhampton this evening just to chat over that. It's, it's sold out. Um, I'm trying to think who's going there. There's myself, Peter Shelton, Gazza, Dave Besson. Um, they're the ones that have come to my head straight away. I, th- I think that might be it. I couldn't say really. There's yeah. been so much going on, really. I mean, but and all of a sudden, I just woke up this morning remembering that I've got to go to Wolverhampton today. And, <laughs> and the only time I've ever been to Wolverhampton was just to play games of football. So this is a new venture as well getting out of. Wolverhampton train station. <laughs> it's a nice place. It's a nice area. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. If you're watching live on YouTube or Facebook, then feel free to get your questions in. Um, I was keeping before we always start. Talking Devils brought to you in association with Classic Football Shirts. Um, you can get a 10% discount using TOTD10 at checkout there. And um, obviously, there'll be some shirts that you might want to get now, some retro shirts that um, you might want to use that 10% discount on. Um, a couple of recent videos on the website, Phil Marsh and Keen Franey reviewed the Wolves game on Friday, so we won't be going over Wolves. Um, from this Friday, though, Phil and Keen will be joined by Lee Lawrence, the former United player on, on weekly shows as well. That podcast is exclusive to YouTube, so if you're listening to this, um, make sure that you're watching that one as well. Um, and yesterday's podcast with Dave Murphy and former United defender Scott Wooten, that was a blockbuster. You will have heard Paul on this podcast telling stories about um, his encounters with Leeds supporters when he moved to United. Scott moved to Leeds and some of the story. I'll leave it for their podcast, but some of their stories, are well, some of Scott's stories are, are pretty mad, as you might expect, um, encountering Leeds fans after... You know, he basically said they became a scapegoat um, whenever they lost games, which you know you can expect uh, being a former United player. Um, but yeah, that's for their podcast. This one's for for us, Paul. Let's get into this one. Um, Ten days have passed, seven since it was made official. Cristiano Ronaldo um, is home. It's one of those where the phones of anyone remotely connected with United were buzzing for about seventy-two hours non-stop. I imagine. I mean, I had a little bit of it, and I can imagine. <clears throat> You, you were the same, like non-stop really. Um, and we had a few conversations. Um, and actually, do you know what? It's not a signing that's universally a no-brainer. So now that like they've just settled on that, I've like, you know, I've had a few conversations with a few Formula United players who've sort of said, well, we've got a few little reservations. Um, in the week, obviously, there's been a lot of columns about Ronaldo being um, a bit of a gamble uh, for United, and, and he is. Without doubt, this no signing comes without being a gamble. But Ronaldo, uh, for for different reasons, is probably a little bit more of one. Um, he answered a lot of those critics with the double and um, the Scorian style, to remind everyone how good he is at the moment. Um, not that most of us needed a reminder, but it was there anyway. 
Paul, um, I read your Eurosport column, which basically nailed the points which I have reservations about. I think what it effectively comes down to is the fact that it's a diversion from what Ollie's been building. That it's, um, and we've been big supporters of Ollie on this podcast, and we've like sort of um, almost supported the idea to be patient with him. Like, say, oh, well, just give him this time, just give him this time. You can see what he's building towards. And like you said on Eurosport, you kind of just went, well, he's made that decision at this point. He's put a lot of pressure on himself. Um, and it, it changes the goalposts in that narrative a little bit. Is that your main reservation? I mean, talking about Ronaldo as, as a quality player is one thing, um, but the actual reservation of why we're bringing him to the club, um, is it more out of preservation and protection for Ole? I, I look at it, the one question I would like answered, and I think that only comes from Ole, is to, this, is to talk about him getting Ronaldo to sign for Manchester United. I want I want Ollie to talk about what led up to it. Was it the man? Was it the fact of the Man City thing, or, or was that kind of like, was that just kind of just a story made to to take it away? So then they come in and bang, the story is sold as he was on the verge of signing for City. Manchester United nipped in and took him away from him going to City. I didn't. I don't really believe that there was any great interest from City. I look at the way City play. I look at, I think about Pep Guardiola and his love for Messi. And definitely again, I say it again, is the way City play does not suit Ronaldo. Mm. There's no high crosses going in the box. There's not early balls into the box. They don't play that way. They're very intricate. So he didn't suit the way they played. So he doesn't face up to the ball and people play off of him as a centre forward. He doesn't suit City. So I think that, that was just... You know, that was someone playing games. That was the agent playing games. And that was a decoy, to be perfectly honest. The biggest question is, did Oli sign Ronaldo? Or was it a fact of something that's come up from overseas? It's a way of putting everything, try and believe, and you're going to put a few things right with a few supporters. If you bring back, you bring back their most talked about player, you know, since Eric Cantona. Is that is that the way, you know, is that their way of doing it? That did, you know, look at it. Is it, he definitely doesn't fit into the way Oli was going. Now it's virtually like in a traffic jam, all of a sudden you build a flyover to stop the traffic jam and bang, the traffic gets quicker to one place and it hits the wall. And that's where Oli, Oli could be hitting the wall because he's now jumped to somebody who has to win, has to win something this season, has to you, win some. Let me jump in there. Um, there's a point... Uh comment from Keane, uh, Ronaldo spoke to UFC champion last month and told him he was moving to United. I heard that story too, but I mean, how quickly that accelerated into this blockbuster day at United, basically. But um, yeah, the, the expectation there then, and, and what he's going to bring, do you not think that, and we've talked about this, do we not think that Oli was in that position anyway? And, the, and I agree everything that you're saying about Ronaldo being a complete diversion away from what we were building. But considering that Oli's in a position where everyone this season was saying you need to win a trophy, you know, and he'd be judged at the end of the season uh, regardless, is it better to take that gamble? I, I think it personally is better to take that gamble with Ronaldo than without him. Without that, without that, you can't because it's like shying away in his mind, and it'd be something that he'd mostly would have to live, he'd have to live with for the rest of his life. When he saw something that could be, yeah. 
which gives you a better chance. And he didn't take it because he's worried about the implications if he does get him, if he doesn't win. And if that, if you thought that way, then in certain ways he should shouldn't be manager. He shouldn't be a manager, and he definitely shouldn't be the manager at Manchester United. But I was looking, and I look at something that was more important: is that was he the signing that they needed? Was he the most? Was that the position that really needed nailing down a centre forward for Manchester United? I would say no. It no, it wasn't. I would mm. say central midfield was the issue, was the issue, and is still still the issue at this moment in time. And as good as it, you look at the front line with two, you know, with two aging strikers to pick from, even though I think the the really aging one, the one who's kept himself seriously fit and still got that hunger at school goals, win trophies, win individual awards, I just think that he's going to want to play every single game. Ronaldo, yeah. you can't make, Oli can't go through that scenario as he did with Cavani, believing he's got to rest him because of his age. Ronaldo's going to want to play. Ronaldo, in a way, dictates to the um, coach of Portugal. You know, he's virtually like the on-field, on-field manager. He dictates and he plays. And you see the players, what they've got Portugal. But Portugal have to play to suit him. So his style of play has to change. It has to be more early balls into the box. And to be fair, Fernandes does that every single time. He gets on the ball and his first look is, can he put something in at an angle into the box just to get him behind? And he uses that for his devices to change, mix his game up. So people are always thinking what he's going to do next, which is fantastic. Ronaldo's going to want that more often than not. When you look at the left side, Luke Shaw never hits anything early. Luke Shaw now has gone from a full-back who wouldn't run forward and he couldn't run back because he wasn't fit enough to a forward, to a wing, sorry, to now a full-back who constantly gets his head down and wants to dribble. He has stopped crossing the ball. Ronaldo's going to want deliveries into the box. You've got the other side, Juan Bissaka, who is very nervous about crossing the ball because he's worried about making a mistake. You know that's in the fullback area, so the the team the team has to change in the way they play. Oli's got to look at a different way of playing to suit Ronaldo because Ronaldo plays one way at centre forward, and that is virtually as soon as that ball gets in wide areas, he's in a position as we've seen the game against Ireland. He's there to to attack the ball. Yeah. As simple as that. So playing intricate and trying to play through that way, you know, if you're going to play that way for ninety minutes. Teams are just going to drop deeper and deeper and not allow it to happen. With Ronaldo, and if you play to his strengths, teams will have to push up that bit higher. They do not want to be in the box if the ball's been delivered. They're going to have to work hard to stop people getting in behind them. So he is going to change it. It's going to make it will make United more of a more on the way that everyone of our of our generation anyway, well, not my generation, I should say. If I say ours, then I'm putting you down has been my age, so I do apologise, but they're going to have to change the way and go back to what, you know, the cavalier in forward, you know, everyone going forward to play that way. And you can't do it when you've got two midfield players who are, you know, creativity-wise, they're lacking. You need at least one of them who is industrious, but creative as well in deeper areas, who can make those runs forward. Because, you know, in the game today, we we just give someone a name, we you know, you get someone and straight away they're marked up as defensive midfield player. Did you um which is a massive getter? I'll get at the we'll go to the midfielder in a moment, but it's interesting that you say that. I was reading a thing about Jude Bellingham this morning 
And the reason why he wears number 22 is because um, when he was younger, they said that he was like a number eight, a number six, and a number four or something like that. They basically said like he was all this number of, of different combinations of players. And when you added them all up, it was 22, which I think is a nice kind of thing because it's saying that Bellingham's one of these players who can do it all. And it's refreshing to hear a player behave like that and sort of say, no, I'll take on extra responsibilities. Um I mean, you, you look at that lad, Wayne, and you, everything you're saying there is everything that I believe that a midfield player is. You, yeah. you just couldn't, you can't, you couldn't slap a name on, I name the usual, the usual suspects. You couldn't slap a kind of, you couldn't identify them in one position of the likes of Robson, Keane, or Ince. Yeah. There was all over the place, and dare I say on this podcast, Stephen Gerrard. You couldn't yeah. just suddenly go, oh, he was a defensive midfield player. Yeah, he defended. Oh, but even though he was an attacking midfield player, yeah, he attacked. He wanted to be everywhere in and around that ball because he played with his heart on his sleeve. And all the three players who I named all did that as well, the same as Gerrard. So Paul Scholes, Paul Scholes was an attacking midfield player. Of course he was because those little little passes are in between. You know, there was no one better than Scholes here doing that. But Scholes, was great in deep positions like Fernandes. He looked for those balls into areas in behind. Yeah, progressive passing, not just the simple passing of just knocking out wide and you get a clap from the fans because you knock the ball under no pressure, 60 yards to someone on the touchline and you get clapped for it. Blimmin' hell, what, what, what a game that is today. Amazing that is. With no, under no pressure, you knock a ball 60 yards, a bit of air on it and it hits the player and everyone claps. And, you know, that's where he gone to. Scolzi went more difficult. He didn't come off the pitch having a 99% passing ratio because he made difficult passes so they didn't work. So we are looking now at central midfield players. You talk about Jude um, Bellingham, and you, I mean, I was there yesterday, I went to the game. Um, it wasn't for the football, someone gave me some really good tickets. So it's, it definitely wasn't about going to watch Andorra play. But you just looked at him and you go, what a midfield player, you think to yourself, he can play, to, he can play next to Declan Rice and it would add that little bit more in that midfield because he was, he was, he was their best player. He was he was England's best player and everything he tried to do. But as you mentioned, 22 means there's an assortment of positions on the field where if you, like, if you get a number, you wear number four and it means you sit deep. You become Jordan Henderson, you know, as exciting as someone blowing their nose behind you. You know, it's just, <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. You want you want more from a midfield player. I lived in a world as when we when we done fitness work. Midfield players would win all anything long, anything that was anything about you know the distance running, anything like that. They um, they was the best. There was a better at it. Roy was an incredible athlete. Robbo was an incredible athlete. Points didn't want to lose to anybody. He was an incredible athlete. So yeah. it was just all that's that's how it was. That's, that should never change. It shouldn't be taken out of our game, but it is because straight away we're just identifying people and we're, we're pinning, them, pinning them down to being one position. So Oli has gone back to where we should be. Is that We really still need to look, we didn't look at it, and somewhere along the line, Van der Beek has to be given an opportunity. He has to be. It's, it's just getting seriously embarrassing now, and it's been talked about more and more. I'm noticing little bits now, his agent's now coming out and saying something, and no one's going to persecute his agent at this moment in time, because it's blatantly obvious that someone needs to speak up on that lad's behalf. Yeah. 
Um, we'll get to him in a moment. Uh, morning, Mike. Um, for those listening back to this, they might think it's a bit weird that I've just said morning, Mike, in the middle. Um, that's the comments on YouTube coming through. Um, right, so I'm going to go into a little rant, Paul. You know how I like to do this. I'm not going to ask you for your opinion on this because it's just my um, two pence on it. And you've mentioned a few points on that anyway, so I'll, I'll be coming back to them. But I'll definitely um, go into the Van der Beek one in a moment. So the Ronaldo signing has brought up all these questions about the owners again and you've mentioned like i said earlier you said um about it being an opportunistic gamble was it something that they saw that they couldn't miss up you know and i understand that because ronaldo is a special case but the question then becomes if they had that collateral to put up for a signing like ronaldo why didn't they see the investment in midfield as an equal emergency prior to Ronaldo coming, because that was the emergency. And I think that's the question. If it goes badly, a lot of people will be asking about the owners at a time when the owners are trying to rebuild some of that relationship. Um, now, Ronaldo's a signing that could very well pay for itself financially to a large extent. But it's the concern that when it came to the crooks, the day before this rumour broke, if you ask most people, like you said earlier, do we need a striker or a midfielder? They would have said the latter. And that's a concern about what the priorities are of the owners, especially with the news that Richard Arnold looks like he's going to be the one who's following Edward Wood. So it's literally just the same thing repeating itself above all it. But what I really wanted to talk about from that point is the supporters' relationship with the Glazers. And that's why I didn't want to sort of bring you into this, Paul, because it's not your place to talk about that. Mm -hmm. I support the protests. Maybe not the extent we saw them at when... Um, they invaded Old Trafford, but I understood why we needed to do that and um, why sometimes that's necessary for change. I've written many times about how the ownership has restricted the managers. I've included Moyes and Van Gaal and, and Mourinho in those summaries. In fact, I wrote an entire book about it, um, defending the managers in, in the face of the restrictions that they had imposed on them from above. But the protest in April was, as I saw it, about one of two things, either to force the owners to sell or force them to communicate better. They committed to the second one. Um, you can't force um, a multi-million, multi-billion company. They can't force the owners to just sell it in the middle of a pandemic. It's not reasonable. So what they asked them to do, this, this group of protesting supporters, which I believe this, these were the two options they gave them, communicate better with us, make things better for us as supporters, basically prove that you're better owners or sell up. Now, it's not perfect. It's working slowly. Supporter groups are affecting change for match day support, which I think is a, a massive thing that the online support doesn't really get. There's a culture and heritage group that's being set up that looks at the ways of respecting the club's history, which is going to include a statue of Jimmy Murphy, for example. There's a promise of investment to stadium and facilities. I'm not saying support the owners, but change takes time. And I want to see how that pans out even if the last week or so will probably have you feeling more cautious than you might have done two weeks ago. Even though we've signed Ronaldo, you might look at that and think, oh God, it's the same old thing again. But how it affects us as fans is a different thing because our relationship with the club is the team. It's not really anything else apart from the team. And everyone's version of the protest since 2005 was different. For a while, I didn't buy shirts and I stopped going to games. Then I missed going to games and started going again, especially because I started seeing a girl who, you know, we hadn't really gone to games, you know, and I wanted to go there. 
we got season ticket, gave it up for personal reasons, not because of the owners, gave it up for personal reasons. I still hadn't bought shirts for a long time until recently my nephew got into football and we took him to the ground and he wanted a shirt and he wanted me to have the same shirt. So even though I don't really wear it, I got one. Then this story of Ronaldo broke, and like you, you mentioned Cantona earlier, and that's a perfect description, Paul, because Cantona is basically this generation's Ronaldo. He's one of the biggest players. He's basically like Cantona coming back two years after he retired. It's exactly like that. Ronaldo is one of the greatest players in history, and it's a massive, massive event in football, probably the biggest transfer of all time. So it meant when they released a shirt that occasion was mad as well you know obviously it was going to be mad at Old Trafford everyone wanted to be the first to get the shirt I was no different I got a few people around the world saying you know because I know loads of sort of supporters around the, the world um who, who wanted the shirt so I went down to Old Trafford to, to get them I wasn't the first in line I was for a bit and I had to go away came back um, and there were people in front of me obviously the, the queue was growing it was pretty mad I was the first to get the full set of shirts they all went away and a third, even though none of them were for me. But I understood they wanted those shirts. The lad, There's a little lad who got the blue and white shirt that from the trio that I got who was the first person in the world to get the Ronaldo 7 shirt, basically. And he lives in California. And he's gonna he's absolutely buzzing with the fact that he got the first blue and white Ronaldo shirt. It's an international event, whether or not you know we like it. And if you don't indulge in that, you're missing out on the generational aspects of being a football fan. They're not going to sell as a result of the protests, as a result of me not going. And I think it's too easy for people online to have a pop at someone who goes to games and keeps their season tickets or someone who buys more merchandise than someone else. At this point, I'm talking at this point, 15 years on, 16 years on, because we're talking about a generation of ownership. I understand that a lot of fans still feel disenfranchised and more power to them for being able <clears throat> to stay away from that. But for me now, I just wanted to be able to say that as fans, we should recognise that really we're just people with different feelings, different thresholds, different relationships with the football team. Some want to go to the game, especially after missing it for 18 months and perhaps losing people in that time that they went to games with. That to them is bigger than the ownership and as well it should be. It's a personal thing that matters to each of us differently. And also that's off to those fans who are in dialogue looking for everyday change with the owners because they're doing that in the face of criticism from people online who are saying, oh, they should sell up, look at you selling out. No, they're actually working to get change for the match they suppose, like cheaper beer, everyone keeps going on about that. But they're working to make that change, which is what the protests were about. It's not about telling them to sell up for four billion because it's so unrealistic. So you've got the second option. They're working slowly. Don't start getting on everyone's back now that the relationships with the football team are going to change in the wake of this change. The conversation with the owners is shifting. So let's appreciate that as fellow fans, we've got different relationships with the club anyway. So don't get on them if they've got a shirt or if they're good at their games or if they get merchandise. Just see how it pans out. Give them the chance. You know, it's a generation. If people have stayed away for a generation, 15, 16 years, that's a long time to sort of have a disconnect with the football club that you support. And just me being reconnected with it in a little bit um, is, 
I can see how difficult it's been, and it has been difficult for me as well. And I just I don't like the idea that the division continues now when we're in the early stages, really, of trying to um, impact that change. Um, yeah, that, that's what I had to say about that. Um, Lucy, who's a season ticket holder, she said, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Far too many online who never go are just keyboard warriors. I've been mocked online for keeping my season ticket, but being back was amazing. I can't wait for Saturday. That's the thing, Paul. Saturday's becoming an international event. Um, rant over, midfield. You want to get back to that. It was a disaster against Wolves. Fred doesn't have the positional discipline to play in games alongside Pogba. Matic probably doesn't have the legs now. I don't think it really works when Matic and Pogba played together. Van der Beek, you mentioned, probably now the gamble, but all he's having to take gambles. He doesn't normally like to. Let's be fair, he's more of an attacking player anyway, but he's still better on the ball than the other players that we've got in there. You feel that maybe in home games, him and Pogba might be worth trying in the middle. Does that make Pogba the issue? Was we'll be trying to shoe on him in? Again, I think Pogba's one of those players who just looks at he looks around, and if he looks at he looks at as a at somebody, and he doesn't respect him as a player, then that comes out that shows in his game. That, that you know when he's being caught in possession and there's people screaming for the ball, and he's looking at him, he's going, "You can't keep it. I can do better than you." And he's been caught out so many times. When he's flowed, there isn't many better. But I think it's about appreciation, respect for the people around him. Now, Pogba's going to be a different entity with Ronaldo because he's going to want to kind of, at least kind of be on be on par with him. That's what he's going to be looking at. He ain't going to allow him to take away what, he's, what, you know, what he sees as his mantle. No different to Fernandes. He's going to want that little bit, yes, Someone who he knows, and you know, he's mostly was watching him as a little as a, as a younger person back at home as well. Now he's playing with Ronaldo as he does, you know, for the for his national team. Now he's got him at club level. He might go a little bit personal as well, want to prove a point, and maybe not allow Ronaldo to take over, take everything from him, which he's he's earned the right to be in that position. It depends if he grabs it, and it is about grabbing it. It's not about sulking about it. You've got to get on with it and. You're hoping that Pogba and him do not. Those two in midfield make a difference. Van der Beek will add to it because ball retention is going to have to become a kid, going to have to become quite key yeah. when you've got a Ronaldo in your team. You can't suddenly see him and use him as a hit and hope. People have got to realise that you can't always give him the ball. Don't suddenly feel that it's Ronaldo because he's after the ball doesn't mean you've got to give it to him. You know, that's the, that's the biggest problem that happens, and especially as well because he can be very dramatic if he doesn't get what he wants. And that's where Ollie has got to now really stand firm. Ollie, and I've never really understood it, but now I'm looking at it and I'm looking at the most successful sides. I'm looking at their managers, and they're there on the touchline and they're conducting, they're, they're orchestrating the play. When you look at Tuchel, you look, you, you watch him, and you're seeing already. He plays a major part in the way he manages his players. He's quite passive in a way, but you can see he is he is on edge. He is leading them with a strong voice and the players' reaction to him is incredible. Ollie just sits back and the only time he steps up is when something's blatantly wrong. He doesn't get, you know, he should be there good, bad or indifferent to be around. Michael Carrick getting up doesn't add anything. In my opinion, you think that's the that's the trust part, isn't it, with Ollie that he, he trusts the players and and sort of allows them. You know what I mean? Like we've said that about the faith that he puts in them, and like you said, it's like when it's an emergency, he sort of steps in. But generally, just now and then, you hear him shouting, you know, 
Donny, Donny, from the... Yeah, no, I know, but it needs a bit more than that, Wayne. And I think yeah. what it does as well, it helps with the crowd as well. They see him there and they want they want to see him get up. Like, people loved it when Sir Alex got up because that meant that there was something that he wasn't entirely happy with. And it wasn't about sending Kiddo out there to kind of get something right tactically. Someone needed to, you know, needed a, a kick, you know, a kick up the bottom, a livener. And you didn't have to, um, you didn't have to really, he didn't have to say anything. The moment he stood up the boss and you was on the other side of the field, you know, and you knew that you was in, that you was in trouble. You knew that something weren't right. It'll get the message across to you. And by the time it got to you, you was thinking to yourself, I better do something right because I've got to go and face that man in the dressing room. If he was on the near side to him, then you had, then you had a really big problem because you're just the last place you want to be as a right back with a boss there on the halfway line, you're about to take a throw in and he is giving you giving you everything and, you're, and you've just got to get on with it. You, you didn't react to it because then that's like, you know, you <laughs> come across as disrespectful to your boss, which wasn't the right thing to be doing. You listened to it and you knew. I just think there's something, something is needed and I think Ollie can make the difference on that side, to be perfectly honest. Maybe it's the habit of what we've seen with, you know, via lockdown when he, when he had no one around him, he was sitting there looking at his iPad, he couldn't communicate with anybody. He, he needed, it needed someone then to go up, but he did, maybe didn't have that. You know, Mickey Phelan was brilliant. Mickey Phelan spent a lot of time when he was working with the boss. He was stepping up quite a bit. And Mick, Mick had a, a good understanding with the players. He was respected as a player when he was there. And when you become assistant manager, then to you know, to done what he's done, to then been allowed to be assistant to the boss tells you what, what you know, that he had the full backing of the boss to make because Brian Robson never got that. Steve Bruce never got that. Mickey Phelan did. Brian McClare never got that. Yeah. So that tells you how strong Mickey Phelan was and made, how strong he still is at Old Trafford. Yeah. Um, Lucy says, um, 100% major match day criticism of Ollie is the sitting down. You want to see him up and the players need it as well. He should be there conducting and leading. Um, perhaps we won't need that against Newcastle on, on Saturday. Predictably difficult start for them. Two defeats, one draw in very bizarre circumstances. Joe Willock, they're only signing of note. Things not looking great. They're always having that the perennial ownership struggle there. And the dislike for Steve Bruce for, for some reason. Um, well, it's been difficult for him as well. Um, you know that they're going to be resolute, but we couldn't have asked for a better team to face, really, you would have thought. Paul, international event, I said it earlier, but it, it really is, isn't it? Ronaldo's return, it's going to be the biggest game anywhere in the world this weekend. The cameras are going to be everywhere. Um, firstly, do you start Ronaldo? Secondly, um, what, what, how do you reckon the game's going to go? What Did you did you just ask me, is he going to start Ronaldo? <laughs> well, people are asking. Well, he, he can't. I mean, I've seen, I mean, I question him not giving Sancho a start to come straight in. And at the moment, he seems to be not got going yet, to be honest. And I think sometimes you need to just get him straight out there. There's no way in a million years can he have Ronaldo on the bench. That would be ludicrous if he considers doing that. Ronaldo would not allow that to happen. You know, all this, you know, playing games and he needs a rest. He's, playing. He, he's not bothered. He just wants, he sets himself challenges, what he wants to do. One of them is to win Sangley United again. And he'd want that. He would, you know, can you imagine if he won a European Cup again with United? Don't get me. If, if you know, that's the kind. That's that's the kind of standards that he would set himself. Yeah. The challenges, I should say. He's going to want to win the Golden Boot. So that means by he has, he's going to want to play. 
in every game left to make sure he, he, he gets in and around winning it. So you yeah. don't talk about resting him and trying to get him off the bench. It ain't going to work because he'd be the worst sub in the world, especially when things ain't going right. So Oli yeah. has to get him on the field ASAP. And there's a lot of people who are paying silly money to turn up at Old Trafford and they don't want to be singing about a player they idolise while he's on the bench. So, yeah. But we have to remember as well, there's another team on that pitch as well. And as the saying goes, they're going to turn up and want to be party poopers. And Newcastle get some, get some good results in certain games. And we call them strange, but they do get their nick results. Steve Bruce, the back end of the season, he had a good run in and they got unbelievable results. You know, and, they, and that's the way they are. Yes, they've had a poor, poor start and Bruce doesn't deserve what he's getting. Um, but... It's a big occasion. You can't switch off and just expect it to happen because everyone's yeah. singing and dancing about one individual who's come back to Old Trafford. So um, just still got to be careful as far as I'm concerned. It's still still a top division game. It's, it's up against a big club in Newcastle. I'm sure the Geordie fans are enjoying themselves and as much as they're going to want to turn around and have a go at Manchester United and the fans and whatever, a lot of those fans as well cannot believe their luck or couldn't believe their luck that they had a ticket to come down and all of a sudden this you know the game has turned has turned into a festival so um long as people don't turn up with tents and those kind of funny <laughs> festival hats and flowery shirts it should be okay so i've got to put my flowery shirt away then that's um there you go um yeah, it's going to be a tough one. Um, tough one to predict. I mean, now I'm with you. Ronaldo's got to start. Um, it's a massive global event. Um, United have got to sort of kick on, really, and they need a big performance after the Wolves game, I think. Um, I mean, that's the bigger picture of the thing, away from the festival, as you called it. There's a, there's a, a football game to be played yeah. and serious ambitions for United. And um, even though it's one, only one game, it's one game where of 38 where Ollie's got to get that system right. He's got to start from, from day one with that and um, get down to business with it. Um, and, well, anyway... We'll be back next week to talk about it. Um, remember, T-O-T-D, <laughs> before we go, Mike, any spares? <laughs> there we go. Um, not yet, Mike, but um, keep, keep your ear to the ground. Um, remember, T-O-T-D 10 for 10% discount with classic football shirts. Um, please leave us a nice review or rating on Apple Podcasts if you enjoyed the show. And we'll be back next week. Stay safe, stay well, and thanks for listening and watching.